Last week we started a series in the Old Testament book of 1 Samuel. And so if you have your Bibles, you can turn them open to 1 Samuel now. Um, And while you're flipping there, uh, if you have your Bibles with you, maybe we can start out the same way the kids did. Uh, How many of us have ever made a promise before? Could you raise your hand? Anybody? Everybody? Anybody here make a promise? How many of you have ever broken a promise before? Yeah, uh, me too. Today we meet a woman in our passage who is in a situation that she made a promise that would have been very hard to keep. Last week we met Hannah, and isn't Hannah a beautiful person with a beautiful heart and a tremendous faith? She really is one of the bright spots of the the scriptures. But we met her in a heartbreaking situation. She was longing to have a child in a culture where women who weren't able to have children were looked down upon and marginalized and in her case, mistreated and hurt and abused. And she was a woman who lived in a country that in many ways mirrored her situation. It was fruitless and harsh and barren. People in the nation of Israel were hurting so badly, a very dark time in their history where many had turned away from God. And as a, re- as a result, the nation was marginalized and abused by surrounding nations. And their own religious and political leaders Uh, through their own corruption and unjust practices, were only making the situation worse. And so Hannah's story, we said, is really Israel's story in miniature. Israel needed new leaders. Hannah needed a child. How will those needs be met? And we saw last week that change begins with prayer. And Hannah prays this heartfelt and broken and ugly prayer before the the Lord. She calls out to the Lord for a child, a child that she hopes will not only meet her need, but the need of her nation. That ultimately that child will be used to meet the needs of her people by serving the Lord in the temple and by taking the place of the corrupt priests there. And God in his mercy hears her prayer. And she has a child. But she's promised to give the child to the Lord. So in this next section of scripture... The big question is, will she keep her promise? Will she stay true to her word? Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the story of 1 Samuel, for Hannah's testimony, and for how it points us to you. As we look to your word today, Lord God, would you be with us by your spirit, um, illuminating encouraging and challenging us. Ultimately point us to your goodness and your love and your heart. We pray this in Christ's strong name. Amen. 
So let's begin where we left off last week in verse 21, where it says, the man Elkanah, and this is Hannah's husband, and all of his house went up to offer to the Lord the yearly sacrifice and to pay his vow. So this is a year later from um, the text we read last week. Elkanah and his family are again going up to Shiloh, the place where the tabernacle was, where they worshiped God, and he's going to pay his vow, it says. And the author wants us to be thinking about vows. We don't vow very often in our culture. Maybe when we become members of a church or we would hear vows spoken between two people at a wedding ceremony. But vowing was much more common in ancient worship. It was a regular part of an Israelite's worship of God. A vow is just a promise you make to God when you're in trouble. And I think we've all vowed informally to the Lord in the past. It's just this kind of thing. Lord, I really need you to come through for me on this one. And if you do, I promise to fill in the blank. I think we've all kind of made those bargains with the Lord in our heart. But in the ancient Israelite heart, usually what you were committing to was to praise and worship the Lord once he came through to you. To give him the worship and gratitude he was due for being such a great God. And this would happen by you bringing sacrifices uh, to the temple, costly material things, and giving them to the Lord as a way of saying, you came through for me in a pinch. And that mattered to me so much. Thank you. I'm so grateful. This is where we get the language in the Psalms. This is Psalm 116, 12 through 14, where David says, what shall I render to the Lord for all of his benefits to me? I will lift up the cup of salvation and call upon the name of the Lord. And get this, I will pay my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people. And so this wasn't a payment for a job done, but a declaration of thanksgiving made in public to strengthen the hearts of others. We don't know exactly what vow Elkanah made, but it would make sense that he was regularly praying to the Lord about Hannah's infertility and the conflict it was generating in his own household. My guess is he prayed about that a lot. And so in this first time going to worship, after God came through and solved that problem, it makes sense that he's paying this vow and giving gratitude to the Lord. God had come through for him. He's going to come through for God by giving him the praise he deserves. But Alkanah's vow isn't the main event. It's Hannah's. What will Hannah do? Verse 22. But Hannah 
did not go up. Oh no. For she said to her husband, as soon as the child is weaned, I will bring him so that he may appear in the presence of the Lord and dwell there forever. So at this point in the story, Samuel, Hannah's child, is little more than an infant, less than a year old. She couldn't leave him at the temple just yet. And it seems as if she's unwilling to appear before the Lord before she can pay her vow in full. And so she's going to wait until the child is weaned. But get this, in that culture, that would mean waiting anywhere from three to five years. Three to five years of experiencing some of the most intimate bonding moments between a mother and a child. And listen to her words. I think they're beautiful. I will bring him so that he may appear in the presence of the Lord and dwell there forever. Forever is a long time. I wish I could have heard her voice when she said those words. What tone did she have? Did her voice break when she said that? She was his mother. And she had longed for this child. Some of you mothers can't put a kid in the nursery for an hour without going bonkers. Imagine giving up a child for the rest of his life. Forever, it says. So just think about the humanity of the moment. Some of my favorite moments watching my wife be a mother has been watching the intimacy that was built between my wife and the kids in those tender moments of infancy. Man, the nursing moments, the feeding moments, the nighttime stuff, the middle of the night experiences. And here is Hannah who was so distressed about having a child, finally having a child, and now promising to give the child up, announcing to her husband that she wants two to five more years before she pulls the trigger? Is it going to be easier or harder for Hannah at that point? But at this point in his life, you can hear her commitment I wonder if she's saying this strongly or if it's just a prayer. I imagine, I imagine her saying these words to Samuel himself in the wee hours. Samuel, I've longed for you. I've prayed for you. And Samuel, I love you. But Samuel, I love Yahweh. I love God. And Samuel, I'm going to give you to him to live in his house forever. You have to experience the humanity of these texts while you're reading them. Verse 23, Elkanah, her husband, said to her, do what seems best to you, 
Wait until you have weaned him. Only may the Lord establish his word. So the woman remained and nursed her son until she weaned him. So Elkanah shows a lot of deference for Hannah here. He has learned his lesson. If we remember from last week, he was not the model husband. He was clueless and insensitive, but he has learned through his experience that Hannah knows in her heart what is right and wrong. But he says something interesting here. He says, do what seems best to you. Wait until you have weaned him. Only may the Lord establish his word. That's interesting because you would expect Elkanah to say, only make sure that you're true to your word. Hannah, after all, is the one who made the promise. You can go back in 1 Samuel, the Lord has not spoken yet. There hasn't been a word spoken from the Lord. So what does Elkanah mean by saying, may the Lord establish his word? It's a little puzzle. And puzzles in the Hebrew Bible are where all the action is. These little ponderables that unlock new layers of meaning in a text. Well, there's been hints throughout the story already that Hannah's hope for this child all along is that he would grow up to serve God's kingdom purpose. That he would play a role not only in her life, but in the life of of the nation by leading it to a place of redemption and renewal. Could it be that she shared some of these dreams and hopes with Elkanah and that in this moment he's praying for the same thing? Could what Elkanah be saying is something like, may the Lord establish his purpose through this child? Well, it's hard to know exactly what Elkanah meant, But his words are prophetic because this is exactly the role that Samuel plays in this story. He will be the one who reestablishes God's word in the nation. Samuel is a prophet. And in the next few chapters, it's going to become really clear that one of the reasons that Israel is in such a bad spot is because people were no longer paying attention to God's word. No one was there hearing God's word or sharing it with the people. And one of the themes of Samuel's story is, oh look, now here is someone who can hear from God and share with people what God has to say. God's word is coming back to Israel again through Samuel. The Lord will establish his word through this child. And so I think something of what Elkanah is saying is meant to foreshadow all of that. But for us in this part of the story, it's just raising the stakes for us. Will Hannah follow through on her word? Will God be able to establish his word through this child as a result? Verse 24. And when she had weaned him, 
That's like the 80th time the word weaned has been used. She took him up with her along with a three-year-old bull and an ephah of flour, which is like a big bag of flour, and a bottle of wine. And she brought him to the house of the Lord at Shiloh and the child was young. So here we fast forward a few years into the future and we're again reminded that he was just weaned and then we're reminded, if we didn't know it, that he was young. Why those details? The the author is laying it on thick. This would have been very difficult. Just imagine bringing a five-year-old to church and just leaving them there forever. And that... This wasn't a good church. Shiloh was run by corrupt priests. And she's going to leave him there? But along with Samuel, she brings all of these other items for sacrifice. The, the bowl and the bag of flour and the bottle of wine. And these would have constituted a thanksgiving offering that would have attended her vow. So she was making this dramatic expression of praise to God. But I want you, what I want you to see is how the author mentions Samuel along with all of these items that are going to be offered to the Lord. So I'm sure that Samuel would have been confused. Why am I going with you to the altar? What are they going to do to this bull? What are they going to do to me, mom? And those questions, I think, echo what, what Isaac would have said to Abraham when he was being led to a strange mountain. And they, it looked like they were going to sacrifice, but they didn't have a bull. And they had to wait for the Lord to provide. Well, this is Hannah's Mount Moriah moment. Will she believe that God will provide for him, for her? Will she entrust God with the life of her child? And she does. And it's dramatic. Verse 25. And they slaughtered the bull and they brought the child to Eli, that's the priest. So by putting the slaughtering of the bull and the bringing of the child in parallel in the same sentence, it's saying the bull is like the child. The child is like the bull. That Samuel's dedication in the the sanctuary surely felt like a kind of sacrifice like a deep loss, like a kind of death. It takes great sacrifice to give up a son. But she did it. She kept her word. And God is going to establish his word through this child to fulfill ancient promises for this nation. Let's close it out. Verse 26 through 28. And she said, 
Oh, my Lord, and here she's talking to the priest. Oh, my Lord, as you live, my Lord, I am the woman who is standing here in your presence praying to the Lord. For this child I prayed, and the Lord granted me my petition that I made to him. Therefore, I have lent him to the Lord. As long as he lives, he is lent to the Lord. And Samuel worshipped the Lord there. So Hannah has remained faithful to her word at great cost to herself. She will always remain Samuel's mother. Notice the word lent. She's not given that up. Part of him will always be mine. But there is another significant way in which he is the Lord's forever. And the contrast that we'll see in the future between Hannah's selfless devotion and the self-indulgent priests that lived at Shiloh is going to become stark for us. And what's highlighted here is the cost of her leaving Samuel there. And God will use her faithfulness and this child to renew and to restore a nation. What do we learn from a story like this? I think there's two things I'd like us to leave thinking about. The first is Hannah's commitment to her child, and the second is Hannah's commitment to her word. So first, Hannah's commitment to her child. I go back to those words that she spoke early in the passage. I will bring him so that he may appear in the presence of the Lord and dwell there forever. We may not have made the same vow that Hannah has made, those of us who are parents. But our task as parents is still the same. To nurture and invest in the life of our kids, working with everything in our power to ensure that they will appear before the Lord and dwell in his presence forever. It is our prayer. I will bring them so that they may appear in the presence of the Lord and dwell there forever. We should solemnly and passionately desire that each child be given over to God in this sense and that the deep gifts we have been given are given back to him. And so for some of us with kids, what that means for us today is being able to take these words of Hannah and just consider what it means to redouble to double down on our commitment to our kids. What are our highest hopes for our children? How much of those things can be learned in youth sports? Youth sports are important, but they don't teach a child everything. And they don't teach a child how to dwell in the presence of the Lord forever. 
what are my highest hopes for my kid? How am I showing them Christ's love? And then there's some of us who have adult children. They're out of the home. And some of them believe in Jesus and some of them do not. We have entrusted them to God's care and let go even though that was hard. And we continue to pray for them. And this passage is saying, continue to pray for them. Hannah didn't know how it would turn out for Samuel. She didn't know what he would face or what he would believe. She had to believe that God would play a big part in Samuel's life. The church at that time was not a safe place for Samuel. And the world is not a safe place for our children. But it is our job at some point to let go. But to continue to pray and to continue to hope. And so for those of you in that situation, I want to say, good job. And finally, I want to say the reason that I am a Christian is because of my mom. I am a nincompoop. And I get into trouble. And I didn't always believe in Jesus. And my mom didn't do nightly devotions with me. She didn't ram stuff down my throat. She didn't force me to do Christian stuff. Her faithfulness was quiet, loving. I would wake up and watch her do her devotions. And it was always clear to me that she was praying for me. Here is a Christian mother on the basis of what she knew and didn't know, giving up her son to the Lord. Through just faithfulness, simple prayers, very real love, and steadfast commitment. Thanks, Mom. I was hers, but it was more important for her that I be his. It still is. And for that, she prayed, and we pray. Hannah's commitment to her child. Finally, Hannah's commitment to her words. God establishes his word through Hannah's commitment to hers. Our words matter. Jesus would remind us that our words matter. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says that Christians shouldn't take vows very often. But that's not because commitments don't matter or that there aren't commitments worth making. What he says is that it's because our yeses and nos should need no oath to strengthen them because it's like we are always under oath. How are we doing with that? (laughs) It makes me think of the private and public commitments that we've made to ourselves and to God and to others. And it's a passage that nudges us into saying, any unkept commitments to God, yourself, or others? 
So I thought this week about my informal commitments that I make to folks just to to be at a coffee shop at a certain time or to make a certain phone call or I make these little promises to my kids about stuff they'll get if they do stuff. And then I've thought about more formal promises that I've made as a pastor of this church. I thought about the vows that I've made to my wife. I thought about the vows that you all take to one another as members of this church. Here's one of them. Do the people of Grace Chapel promise to embrace one another, to support and encourage one another, to pray for one another, to enter into relationship with one another, and to fulfill Christ's law of love by bearing each other's burdens? Promise keeping. It's a big thing in the Bible because love depends on it. Consider a father with a difficult daughter, very difficult. He's fed up at the end of his rope, but he remembers a promise that he made when she was baptized. And he sticks with her in hurting love, even though she's making his life a living hell. Consider a woman somewhere telling herself, I want to get out of this marriage and start over with someone who really loves me. God knows the clod I married has given me many reasons for cashing it in. But she remembers a promise she made when she married him. And she sticks it out with him in hopeful love. Consider a minister telling himself, I want to chuck this job and get into something better. The pandemic has turned people into crazy people (laughs) who are more rooted in their ideological and political persuasions than ever before. And I have second degree burnout. But he remembers the promise he made when he was ordained and he sticks it out with the church in pastoral love. Can you remember the important person who kept their commitment to you? The one that made all the difference in the world? Some people still make promises and keep the promises they make. And when they do, they make life around them more stably human and full of love. Promise keeping is a powerful means of grace in a time when people can hardly depend on each other just to show up to a coffee date. I'd argue that people are more flaky now than they have ever been. And I count myself among people. (laughs) But some people still have ships they will not abandon even when the ships are sinking. Some people still have causes they will not desert even when the cause seems lost. Some people have loved ones they will never forsake even though they are a pain in the neck and those people reflect the heart of God. Because of course that is what this text is about. 
It's about a God who stays faithful to his ancient promises, though his people were very unfaithful to him. God is the always true and faithful one. And he is the great promise maker who has made more promises than anyone else and promises of greater magnitude. And he has the one who has paid the cost to ensure that all of those promises will fall out to you. Consider the promises that he's made to us, friends. He has promised to take away our sins so that we are every bit as pure and holy as his son. Our God has promised to be with us in our deepest trials and our most trying circumstances. Our God has promised never to leave or forsake us. He has promised to work everything out for our good. He has promised that at the end of our days that we will find to die is merely to sleep. And to open up our eyes again is to see the the Father's face in glory. He has promised to destroy the last enemy that is death and to cleanse the world and to raise his people to life eternal. He has promised to remain faithful to us even when we were unfaithful to him. And like Hannah, that would mean giving up a child as a sacrifice for the sake of others. But the sacrifice of this child was not symbolic. It was real. It was the gift of Jesus who came to live the life that we were meant to live and to die the death that we deserve to die. The costly sacrifice that was required so that all of God's promises would be yes and amen to us in Christ. So in the end, we're left pondering the great lengths that God has gone to be faithful to us. And it is his love and faithfulness that picks us off the ground and enables us to renew our commitments to God and to ourselves and to others. It reminds us that when you say to someone, I will be there, and you are there, you are only a millimeter beneath the angels. We are never closer to God than when we are keeping our promises. Hannah established God's word by keeping her own. Perhaps the church can't be a force for redemptive change in our throw away society until we remember the power of keeping our word. So let's not in the midst of trying to move social and cultural mountains forget the old job of nurturing each other to be people who dare to make beautiful commitments and have the courage to keep the commitments we make. Let me pray for us. Gracious Heavenly Father, thank you so much for 1 Samuel, for the story of Hannah and how it tutors us in the ways of love. That in very dark circumstances, first it teaches us that prayer matters. We can ugly pray to you, Lord. 
And then that there's a way that we can trust your word, that we turn to your word and we trust it and that uh, we begin to keep our own, that change begins with prayer, it continues on with lives of integrity and fidelity and love with simple things like keeping our commitments to one another. We admit to you that we have problems doing that. Uh, But we also recognize that you are the always faithful one who was faithful to us when we were unfaithful to you. And you've kept every promise to us in Christ. May the great lengths that you've gone to love us and care for us pick us up off the ground, brush the dust and dirt off of our bodies, and renew us in hope today. Thanks for moms who care for kids. We give you praise and thanks. In Christ's name, amen.